elevates trusting all is well well is all welcome back to elevated frequencies reading segment where we will continue to read legend born we are at chapter 25 y'all we are moving through we are moving along um i low-key don't even want it to really end but it is coming we are about midway through the book we have still half of a book to go there are a total of let me see 55 no 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 let me take that back sorry hold on i got you there are 58 chapters so let's just get into this um legend born by tracy dion um where we ended off Whereas uh, Nick and Bree, they was being nasty. They they finally kissed y'all. But does that mean danger for Bree? Because she's falling in love with the descendant of King Arthur? Or can this actually be a good thing? Is this a breaking of something? Is this the start of something new? Is this revolutionary? Meaning that it's going to bring something, repeat history? Or is it evolutionary? Let's find out. Chapter 25. Tonight, Alice's voice goes near supersonic in my ear. Yeah, as I stroll through the campus. It's a gorgeous day and I navigate the brick back pathways with a smile on my face. On Wednesday, it was surreal to walk among thousands of Carolina students who had no idea what really went on at their school. Now, it's Friday, and that secret feels like nothing at all. Reality sure does change after a kiss like that. After he'd walked me home yesterday morning, Nick and I'd been texting each other constantly. I pretty much wore a permagrin the entire entire day. This morning, he sent a text asking me to go out with him and the other legend born tonight. I'd said yes. And then, like any good best friend, texted Alice. She called me back right away. I only had a few minutes to talk before I meet with Patricia, but I have to agree with Alice. Melting on the phone with my best friend about Nick plus Lips topics is worth a quick phone call. Where? She asked. Some downtown, some bar downtown, a beer garden? I'm not sure. You mean you don't care? Not really. And I don't. I'm buzzing and eager to see Nick again. Okay, so is this a date? I turn down a narrow hallway, walkway, while I think about her question. Is it a date if there are like 20 other people around? Well, Alice starts. In the background, I can hear the murmur of voices and the shh sound of wind. She's on her way to class somewhere near mid-campus. I think it is if you act like it is. If it feels like it's just the two of you, then it's a date, no matter who else is around. Um, how are you this wise? I read a lot of books. Next question. What are you going to wear? Um, Patricia waves at me from where she's sitting against one of the campus's 
ambiguous low stone walls. I wave back and hope she doesn't misinterpret the blanket of terror that has just taken over my expression. I hadn't even thought about what to wear. Alice! Alex cries. I'm a few feet from Patricia now and not a second too soon. Gotta go, Alice. No! My parents are picking me up this afternoon, so I won't be there to be your glam squad. Do I need to call Charlotte? She's got cute clothes. Bye, Alice. She grumbles but says goodbye. It's a bummer that she won't be around tonight. I make a mental note to at least text her a selfie before I go. Sorry about that, I say to Patricia and tuck my phone into my messenger bag. No need to apologize, Patricia beams. Her burgundy lipstick matches today's shawl. Thank you for meeting me here. I look past her to take in our meeting location for the first time. I hadn't thought much of the cemetery during the campus tour. It was common for old towns in former colony states like North Carolina to have historic graveyards in the middle of a modern development. I certainly, certainly hadn't imagined I'd visit it during what was supposed to be a therapy appointment. I did kind of wonder why you'd bring me here. Not gonna lie. I'd be worried if you hadn't. No quizzes this time, she says, tugging her shawl tighter. I brought you here because I've decided I'd like to help you, and I believe this is the best place to start. Without waiting for my response, she starts toward the entrance of the cemetery, which is really just an open gap in the low wall. A graveyard? Her pace is surprisingly quick, considering how much shorter her legs are than mine. I have to take a quick few steps to catch up. Indeed. The sky is a bright Carolina blue overhead in the old Chapel Hill Cemetery. Part green lawn, part wooded preserve is probably the most beautiful graveyard ever. It feels like a hidden park, a respite away from the throngs of students bent over their phones on the way to class, professors chatting on the way to the campus coffee shop. Bits and pieces from the campus tour came back to me as we walk. When UNC was founded in the late 18th century, it began with one building, my dorm, Old East. Only a few years after it opened, a student died unexpectedly and was buried on an empty tract of land not far from then, center of the campus. As the campus expanded, the university marked the perimeter of the cemetery with informational placards and a low rock wall built sometime in the early 1800s to separate it from the rest of the grounds. So this is how you're gonna help me understand my mother? Patricia huffs a bit as the path winds upward past an enormous grape myrtle. I don't know very much about your mother, Brie. So understanding is a tall order, but I know about Root. So the cemetery is where you'll teach me about Root? It's the starting point, she repeats enigmatically. The root of root, if you will. She chuckles at her own joke, and I give up on pressing her. The carved headstones we pass at the edge of the cemetery were made of polished, reflective granite. The engravings look freshly cut, even though they are 10, 20, 30 years old. Some of them even have fresh flowers. Most grave markers are simple, 
flat stone squares with metal nameplates. Some are taller, solid rectangles atop stone slabs. There's even a courtyard of mausoleums for some rich family, probably. But as we get closer to the middle, the markers are getting older, changing shapes. Mildew-stained obelisks, thinner tombstones with two and three sets of names on them, long names, births, and deaths in the early 1900s and late 1800s. Patricia walks us past older gray headstones onto a narrow path that leads to another section of graves. The cemetery is managed by the town, and everyone buried here was associated with the university or town in one way or another. Like deans and professors? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Originally, it was used to bury students who died while enrolled in faculty. That's the oldest section. The first was a young, die-fire boy, buried in the late 1700s. Five more sections were added after that, a mix of faculty and staff, town philanthropists, and donors, famous alumni, and the like. We come to a stop at an ancient-looking stone wall that runs the width of the cemetery. Notice anything? I thought you said no quizzes. She tilts her head, her mouth folded in a secret smile. And it reminds me that Patricia holds all the cards here. And they're cards I want. I scan the way we've come. We've been walking on dirt paths, pounded flat and hard, and made smooth over time by many feet. They serve a dual purpose. They silently direct visitors to avoid walking directly on any of the graves but they also separate sections of the cemetery. Beyond the boundaries of the cemetery, cars whoosh by toward the football stadium. But other than that, the only sounds are birds and wind. The bell tower erupts in Westminster quarters. When it ends, a lone bell tells us it's 2.15. I stare at her, confused, but take another look at where we've stepped walking. On the other side, over the stone wall, is a grove. There's only a few stone markers here. I point to a back corner, shaded by a low tree. A few tombstones over there. It's barely filled. Oh, it's filled. This wall marks where the segregation begins. All the black folks are buried in these two sections. She tips her head toward the grass beyond the wall. My stomach twists at her words. This is not what I imagined therapy to be. This is not what anyone's therapy looks like. I'm fairly positive. She wraps her shoulders in the shawl and continues. Some were enslaved folk owned by faculty and kept on campus to help build and maintain the school. Some were servants or freed folk after slavery ended in this part of the Confederacy. She sighs, nodding her head at the grass over the wall. That memorial over at the arboretum is the pretty acknowledgement, the polite one. But the blood, the blood's buried here. Why aren't there any, I swallow, suddenly wanting nothing else but to run from this place.
This place feels too close to home. Too horrifying. Almost all are unmarked. People used field stones or wooden crosses, whatever someone could afford, and was deemed worthy. Some graves still have a bit of yucca or periwinkle, or a tree you can tell was planted deliberately, she says, pointing at plants scattered through the grass. Families and community members did that, I suspect. In the 80s, folks used this section for football game parking. So who knows what would destroy it then? They did a preservation study not long ago using a radar of some sort. Found almost 500 unmarked graves in the ground in these two sections. And the one on the other side of the wall? But a medium could have told them that. She smiles, a bit of canny mischief sparkling her eyes. She walks through an opening in the wall and steps gingerly into the grass turning when she realizes that I'm not following. I'm staring at the earth beneath our feet. 500? Yep. I swallow. Do I really have to walk on the grass? I could be walking right over someone's grave. You will be. Patricia turns away with a smile, but will acknowledge them, thank them. I huff and let loose a long breath, (sighs) then follow her footsteps, imagining that maybe she knows where the graves are and has avoided them for us both. We stop at an unmarked section of grass. This is where two of my ancestors are buried, Patricia says simply as if she were just sharing where one could find a glass in the cupboard. This is where the cups are. Here's where to find the mugs. She sits down, cross-legged in her long skirt. I instinctively step back, but she regards me with a raised brow. Sit. I kneel carefully. The freshly mowed grass is warm and spiky on my my bare legs. I sit cross-legged in front of her as she opens the velvet pouch she's been carrying and sets out a few stones on the ground between us. A bright green one shaped like a small gnarled fist A purple and white stone with a few rocky points, amethyst, I think, and a smoky quartz. To my surprise, Patricia arranges a few other items in front of us. Items I'd never thought to bring to a grave. A smaller pouch with a bit of fruit in it, a plate with cornbread, and an empty mug that she fills with tea. I don't know who my ancestors are, past my great-grandmother anyway. Patricia shrugs. Lots of black folks in the States don't know their people more than four or five generations back. Don't know names before the late 1800s. And why would they? We didn't exactly inherit detailed family records when we were freed. She keeps arranging her offers, not looking in my direction as she does. I'm filled with a sour sense of betrayal, akin to the feeling I felt looking up at the order's wall. I never even met my grandmother. Patricia's head tilts toward me, her expression curious. You never met your grandmother? I bristle. No. She died before you were born? I respond, yes. No aunts on her side of the family? Great aunts? No, 
Frustration sparks to me like a match has struck my insides, turned them to fire. Suddenly, my skin feels too tight all over my body. The fine hairs on my back of my neck lift. My visions blurs. I don't need to be reminded how alone I am, how lost. Breathe. Breathe. She speaks softly, but her order is firm. Take slow breaths in through your nose. I hear Patricia speak, but her voice arrives from far away. I do as she says until my heart slows down, but my throat is still the size of a straw. I have to clear it twice to get any words out. So what are we doing here? She smiles. Do you trust me? I blink. That's usually what someone says when they're about to do something weird to somebody else. She grins. I can handle weird if you can. I think about all that's happened in the last week of my life. I can handle real weird. Real weird. Then we'll proceed. She draws herself up tall and folds her hands in her lap. As you know, there is an invisible energy all around us. Everywhere in the world that only some people know about. Some of those people call it magic. Some call it aether. Some call it spirit. And we call it root. There is no single school of thought about this energy. Is it an element? A natural resource? I think it is both. But a practitioner in India or Nigeria or Ireland may not agree. The only universal truth about root is who or what can access it and how. The dead have the most access to root and supernatural creatures have the next closest connection. But the living? The living must borrow, bargain for, or steal the ability to access and use this energy. Our people, root crafters, borrow root temporarily because we believe that energy is not for us to own. She waves a hand over her stones and food. We make offerings to our ancestors so that they will share root with us for a time. And then, after it's returned, we thank them for being a bridge to its power. This is a unifying philosophy of our practice. Beyond that, Families have their own variations, their own flavors, if you will. So it has always been, and so it is. You say you don't know how my family practice. I don't. In your circumstance, it seems your family's way is gone. All I can do is introduce you to the craft as my family understands it, using my way of sharing its truth. It makes sense, but I had to ask, what do you do with Root? As Patricia looks at me, a soft, fuzzy warmth falls across my cheeks and nose, like sunlight uncovered. Take my hands, and I'll show you. Once I take her hands, there is a heartbeat of sensation. Her skin is warm, dry, and soft. Before the world around us twists, then disappears. And I'm going to actually leave it there, y'all. Because it looks like we are at part three, which is Roots.
I think that I'm just going to leave y'all on y'all toes for next week. I think that's what I'm going to do with y'all. Because, and I'll read two chapters next week. I got y'all. I'll read part three, which is Roots, chapters 26 and 27. I'll do that. But I'm going to stop it right there for y'all. Because I have to keep the suspense going. But obviously, Miss Patricia, the therapist, she is a root crafter. She was talking about how her mother was a wild crafter. So I feel like Bria is about to really learn who she is, what her abilities are. And unfortunately, her family has detached from the roots of what she truly is. So this is going to get crazy. And I want to leave y'all in suspense. I do. And I know y'all will come back next week to read chapter 26 and 27 with me. And we're going to have fun with that. Um, I love you guys. I hope you enjoyed. I know this was short and sweet. I apologize, but not really. Again, I want to keep you guys in suspense. I want you guys to enjoy. And, you know, I got to keep y'all on y'all toes. But, yeah. I'm going to just let this play out until it evens out. But until next week, y'all, stay true, stay you, namaste.